BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What's for dinner? The most dreaded question, at least in my household, but I'll wager on the fact that I'm not alone in this one. There's nothing to eat. There's nothing to snack on. When are we going to get groceries? Can we pick something up? These are phrases that are used almost every day in my household. In an effort not to repeat the inner workings of my house, but pretty much assume that it's going on in yours as well, let's talk about food. Its impact on a household and offer up some survival tips with food expert, recipe creator, cooking show host, and food journalist, Paula Roy. Welcome to Living Your Life with Leanne Lang, the podcast brought to you by Extension Marketing. And of course, for more information, you can always head to extensionmarketing.com. I do want to say thank you so much for the feedback and from the messages from people listening and sharing and loving the content of the podcast. It is really helping uh, as you share and let people know that it exists uh, to help the podcast grow. And I love it, Paula, because you said you listen, you've seen the content. Absolutely. So see, I love that. It makes me feel good when I have guests that come in that know what it's all about. And the format to me really works because I actually listen to you while I'm cooking. So you see, it all comes together. See, now next time I'm, I'm recording one, I'll be thinking Paula's going to be listening to this while Absolutely. she's cooking. I'm really excited to have you on and our relationship goes back years because I remember for years I've been interviewing you on CTV Morning Live uh, and it, it, it sometimes it's you know seasonal, sometimes there's an idea, sometimes there's new recipes. This has been your life for a long time. It has. I've always been interested in food. Like mm-hmm. I can remember three or four years old, come from a big family, six kids, and my mom was a stay-at-home mom, which was not unusual at that time, so she really had to stretch our food budget. And she was very creative, meals were simple but always delicious. I figured out if I offered to help in the kitchen, I could get one-on-one time with her, which was almost impossible otherwise. Six kids. Where are you in the order? I'm the fifth of six, so in the younger end. So on the younger end, and you figured out pretty early on, you are, you'd be battling for for quality time with a parent when they're six. Yeah, I would go to the hardware store with my dad on Saturdays for quality time with him. And I was, again, three or four years old and I wanted to tag along. And I learned a ton about fixing things and building things just because of that time. So cooking was the same way. Of course, I know that I would disappear when it was time to do the dishes. And I did that for a long time, but I've gotten over that. But isn't there usually a rule, whoever helps with the cooking and the prep? See, it's like that, whoever helps with the cooking and the prep, has that end, and then the people who did had nothing to do with it. They've got the, it's the, definitely uh, the, the rule in my house now, See? right? But when I was little, I don't know. I would go and hide when it was dishes time. Where was home for you? Uh, all over the place. My dad was military, so we moved a lot. Sometimes every two years. So the kitchen really was an anchor for our family. We were in a different house. I still dream of houses that are a mix and match of all the different places we lived. I'll walk from the living room of one house to the dining room of a different house. Happens still all the time from all that moving. So you're moving your whole childhood. You just remember different house, different city, different different school, school, different friends. But because our family was so big, we were like this unit, right? We Mm -hmm. moved as a unit. We had our own little tribe. Uh, If I couldn't find friends to play with right away, I had my two brothers. So who were close in age to me. So it was, it was actually a big adventure. And that, also made 
everything an adventure. Food became an adventure. Camping was an adventure. And my parents were great at helping us roll with that. And my mom's turning 90 in a couple weeks. My dad just turned 90. And I think that adventuresome spirit is what keeps them going. Wow. Military, always on the move, six kids. Yeah. Into their 90s, like turning 90. Yeah. That's that's a good story. We don't yeah. hear stories like that very often. Yeah. Do what was it then as a child looking at this relationship, which I would think would have been tested on numerous occasions. Which relationship? Six, like your parent like I'm looking at that, like are they like that's a that's a lot of moving parts for a lot of their life. I think that my mom was a bit unique in that she really maintained a sense of independence. I mean, she had this incredible role to support my husband and her husband in his career. He became a general. He was traveling a lot, really busy, and then also to look after all of us kids. But she had this independence of spirit. She was a very strong thinker. She read a lot. She was involved in uh, quilting and all sorts of different things. And I just looked at her, and she was a real role model to me. Mm. Not that I, I knew I wanted to work, but I also wanted to be an anchor to a family just like she was. When do you think your mom realized that you had the ability in the kitchen? You know, I, I, I get that it's the quality time that a child can spend with their parent, but that it started to be that you actually had great ideas or that we're doing things and you had your own flair to it. I can tell you exactly when that was. So my three sisters are a little bit older. My parents had three in quick succession and then a bit of a break and then three more. And so by the time I was 12 years old, they were pretty much gone from the household off at university. I think one sister was even married at that point. And my mom would travel with her mother and sisters occasionally. And I'm sure she really loved that time away from the house and just to relax. And they would go to floor. They went to Europe. They went to Hawaii. Um, so she stopped making meals and putting them in the freezer for the family. She would just go and expect that I would cook. I'm 12 years old. So one of those trips happened around Thanksgiving time. And my father was doing the groceries because, of course, I'm 12. I can't drive. And he comes home, plunks a frozen. Did you make a grocery list for dad? Like, was it I at that point? I don't remember that okay. part. I must okay. have because I know I was choosing what we were going to eat. It was a lot of pasta. I can tell you that. But he comes home, plunks a frozen turkey on the counter and just turns to me. You know what to do with this, right? I've never cooked a turkey in my life. I'm 12 years old. And I was like, okay, I guess I got to figure this out. Well, I made a gosh darn wonderful turkey dinner. All the fixings. I made cranberry sauce. I made homemade stuffing. I made the gravy. At 12. At 12. And I remember that day so, so clearly. I think about it probably once a week. And it gave me the confidence to decide I was really going to become passionate about food. I can imagine. Because I've got, you know, going through the 12-year-old. I mean, I was impressed when they could scramble some eggs. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, way to go. And the next phase came a couple years later when my mom was traveling again. And she didn't go away that often, maybe once or twice a year. But these things just seemed to happen when she wasn't there. My dad invites a military colleague to come for dinner. And he was a similarly high-ranking officer. I don't remember exactly what rank. But he kind of phones me when I come home from school. Oh, by the way, I'm bringing so-and-so home for dinner. And I'm panicking, thinking, I don't know what to make. And I'm kind of, Dad, just do what you're good at. And I thought, okay, I'm going to serve him spaghetti. And it was just good home-style spaghetti. And this fellow had been traveling a lot. And he just said it was like the best thing he had to eat in a month. And I think he was sincere. I, I think so, right? Because even like a spaghetti, a good spaghetti, 
and you, you have that home feel like there's a connection with food and emotion. And that's comfort, right. Right. I mean, and that essentially at the end of the day is what it is all about. That's what brought me to food in the first place. And that's what keeps me sustained in food is that feeling that it gives you of just, yeah, healthy, comfort, joy, family, all those things are so wrapped up together. So you have a positive relationship with food, family, quality, time, uh, and joy. Yes. A lot of people don't have that. There's an anxiety to being in the kitchen. There's uh, a love-hate relationship with food. It's hard to be able to have this idea like, wow, I would love that at 12 to be able to come. I still don't think I have made a turkey. <laughs> Thankfully, I still, my mom still. I was just going to say, your mom's, mom's amazing. Still, my mom is still able to do that. And, and I have said to myself, like, there's got to be a time when I actually, you know, sit there and watch. And my dad was a chef. I mean, my dad had restaurants. And unfortunately, I didn't have the chance to learn um, mm. to cook from him just when I, you know, was going to start to learn. Uh, that opportunity with my dad passing away was taken away from me. But I realize now as I'm getting older, I have to start to figure this out. So the trick in your case would be to have your mom teach your girls how to make a turkey dinner, for example. So you could, you would obviously I'm be there, you'd the be generation. on the sidelines, but... If you were out of the equation, they would probably pay more attention to your mom teaching them. I had the same experience with my daughter. She was about 16 and I tried to teach her how to make pie and she would get her back up or not right now, or I've got something else to do, or, you know, I'm too tired, whatever. So I took her with me on a vacation to Nova Scotia where my parents live. And I told my mom quietly, I said, I really want you to teach my daughter, who's named for my mom. They're both named Molly. I want you to teach Molly how to make a pie. Well, when her grandmother asks... No problem. And they did this pie from start to finish. And I have this beautiful picture of the two of them standing there with this pie that I will just cherish forever. And I was all ears, but I stayed out of their faces and it was really, really successful. So that would be a way for you to learn, but also for them to learn. It has been. Yes. My mom has just almost skipped me and gone right to the kids, right? Great. They, they go in the kitchen, especially as we're pre- preparing for some of the, some of the bigger meals. Okay. So where does the process for you start? Is it making lists? Is it in the when you're in the grocery aisles? Like, where does the process of thinking ahead to feeding a family start? Well, I'd say both of those things, but I sort of have a unique approach that I formulated when I was first on maternity leave when our eldest, our son, was born. And for the first time in my life, I had a reasonable amount of money to spend on food. I used to, as a student, of course, you're watching your budget. And when I was single, I was trying to save, 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 and so on. So uh, my husband had a great job at the time, and I could start to think, oh, I could have shrimp. It's Monday, but we could have shrimp. Whereas I never would have thought that way. That was like a special occasion food. And I would go shopping every day. I'd put my kid in the stroller. We'd go down to the Wellington Street food strip and I would look and see what was fresh and what looks good. And then I would think, hmm, I wonder what I could do with this. And I'd just grab what I knew would probably go together and would think about, you know, I've got a can of tomatoes at home or I've got some such and such in the freezer. And then I would come home and think. And at that time in the 90s, the internet wasn't a thing. So I'd have to go to cookbooks and I was kind of constrained by that process. So then I found I could really just pick a protein. And so I would kind of do it that way and then think, all right, well, what's going to go with that? And it became more freeform over time, but it also became easier to plan because I think, well, okay, Monday's going to be chicken, Tuesday's going to be beef, Wednesday's going to be vegetarian, Thursday, whatever. And so it was kind of a semi-meal planning. Does that work in a sense that we or most people could be going about it that way? I think that they could because if you have 
sort of a well-stocked pantry of staples. And it doesn't have to be a huge volume of things, but if you keep the basics on hand and replenish them every time you run out, then you could literally open a flyer and see what's on sale. Go and grab the protein, grab whether it's, you know, a couple of extra cans of lentils or a, um, a bag of chickpeas to cook from scratch. It doesn't have to be meat-based protein, but just figure out what the anchor of each meal is. And then you might have to go out and grab a few things during the week, especially fresh vegetables. I really like to buy them a couple of times a week. Um, it does take some planning. And I mean, I'm, I'm a ridiculous. I'm off the deep end. I wake up at about five every morning and I lie in bed until I feel like getting up and I start to think about today and tomorrow and the next day. Food. Food. Oh yeah. First thing every morning. First thing I think of. Is it a positive relationship always. with food? It's, it's, how did, how did you, it's always positive. I, it got more so that way, the more confident I became, I'll say, in the kitchen. So the, I make a lot of really simple meals, but I know I can do it. And believing in myself released me from that anxiety of what are we going to have? And, oh, gosh, we had spaghetti yesterday, so we can't do pasta again today. Well, why not? Why can't we do pasta again today? And why can't I just do a nice tomato and lentil sauce because we had chicken uh I don't know, chicken Alfredo yesterday. And there's no rule that says you can't have pasta two days in a row, right? Or make it uh, pasta sauce on barley. So it's something different and healthy. And just, we all, I think, get in that rut of thinking it's got to be healthier, more uh, simple, more vegetables, more whatever, less time. And I say, chuck all that out the window and cook what you like. And if you're cooking, that's what matters. So I'm going to ask it from the health, like, I hope you don't mind. Oh, of course. Because for me, when you say that, like, I, I would be like, I can't, like, we don't have much pasta and rice in the house. So I battle sometimes with, okay, well, we had pasta. We, I already did spaghetti with the kids. I don't want to do. But you might not think anything was wrong with having potatoes three nights in a row because you don't think about the meal as being potatoes, mm -hmm. right? The noodles are just the vehicle for the real heart of the meal, which is the ton of vegetables and whatever your sauce base is. I even do a, like a chicken broth sauce with a ton of vegetables. It doesn't even have to have any meat at all. It could be lots of sauteed mushrooms and onions and broccoli and so on, almost like a stir fry. And then it just happens to be on top of noodles instead of rice. It's the same kind of idea. So it's almost flipping your thinking to what is the most nutritious part of the meal? And that's the part I'm gonna go bananas on. And then whatever the little vehicles are that get it into the belly, doesn't matter. Oh, I like that. It's the vehicle that gets it into the belly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the vehicle that gets it into the belly. That's right. You add in the rest of the stuff and that's where the, the, the emphasis goes on. But I start first with what's the healthy part of the meal. That's always how my thinking starts. So what vegetable do I want to cook? What's going to go with that vegetable? What three or four vegetables can I combine to make something really good? How often are you creating recipes? Because I know right now you've got, you know, you're a food contributor for Ottawa at Home magazine. You've got food, you know, you're writing about food. You've got a cooking show. How often are you in recipe creation? Uh, but prior to this year, I was probably doing two or three a week. And that was a bit of a grind because some weeks I also actually work as a business and technical writer. That's my other job. Mm -hmm. And that's 40 to 50 hours a week. So the food thing is all kind of my side hustle on top of that. So knowing I had this commitment to publish X number of recipes in a specific time span was kind of overwhelming. So now what I do is I take a pause from my other work for about five or six or seven days and I'll do 15 
15 or 20 new recipes during that time. So then my brain is just buzzing on food the entire time. It's great. It's messy. It's fun. And I have to do all the, the, the writing of the recipe, the testing, the obviously shopping, clean up, f- do all the photos for all the recipes and the social and everything else. But then I sort of feel like I get a little holiday from that. And then you can enjoy it. Is there a lot of trial and error? Like, have you done things that you thought were going to be really good and aren't? Surprisingly, almost everything turns out exactly like I imagined it. Someone told me the other day, I have synesthesia, which is where you see people as colors and you feel colors as emotions and so on. I kind of have that for food. I can imagine something in my head and I can taste, I can literally feel the food in my mouth. I know exactly what it's going to taste like. And so I write the recipe usually before I ever make it. Like I can write down the proportions and all that stuff. I'll make it to what I imagined. And it's 99.8% of the time it's perfect. But I had one flop last week and it was good because it was really humbling to go, you still have learning to do. So it was really, really, and it was a cookie recipe. I'm going to give it another stab this week, I think. Um, But it was great because cooking isn't perfect. It's not always perfect. Is it, uh, what would be your favorite? Like, oh my goodness. Well, probably savory rather than sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, I really crave vegetables and I love meat. I could never be a a full-time vegan, I'll say. I love lots of vegan meals, lots of vegetarian meals, but I see vegetables and it's like this little happy dance inside going, oh, look at that, like going to a farmer's market throughout the spring and summer and fall as new things come on board. It's That's my candy store. So often that's my starting point is what vegetables do I want to work with and sometimes, um, which, what do I have to do to them to make them more appreciated? As I like to say, another word for liked by my family, cause mm. they're not necessarily as big a fan of everything as I am. Okay. I'm going to hopefully hit on picky eaters in a little bit too, because I'm sure there are many households, but there's a couple of things that, that I had in terms of a list of, of topics to get through that I think will apply to a lot of people, hopefully listening and trying to be able to make some changes or some choices. So the one thing that we had right off the top was, um, frozen. What was one of the topics I wanted to get to? Because as you're mentioning, you know, going to these food market, these farmers markets, what's your take on going through the frozen section of a grocery store? As long as you avert your eyes from the frozen pre-made meals, I'm in love with frozen food. So frozen fruit, frozen vegetables, they're fantastic. They're so much better for you than canned. And it's a way, like we talked about, of having that arsenal at home of things you can grab from. So I have a bag of frozen avocados, a bag of frozen rhubarb, a bag of frozen pineapple, and a bag of frozen kale in my freezer right now that I bought at the grocery store. And that's my smoothie base lots of days. So I don't have to get get up and start chopping or I don't have to chop the night before. And they're just as nutritious as if they were fresh. Like I I tend to not purchase that, but I probably should because I I also find I have a lot of waste. That's the other thing. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're quite affordable. They often go on sale. Um, I know that uh, the way that the the method by which vegetables are processed today for freezing is really, really healthy because they don't have to treat them with chemicals. There are some um, vitamins that do degrade a little bit by the freezing process, but not completely. And I would much rather have a smoothie have those things and use every last ounce of what's in the bag and have no wastage and also wake up at five and think, Oh, I really feel like a, yeah, a pineapple avocado and maybe I'll throw in some fresh raspberries or something smoothie. Okay. So you're saying that right now because you wake up and you crave it. Most people are skipping breakfast. <laughs> As you're saying that you're saying I'm lying there at 5am thinking, what am I going to make? Most people skip 
breakfast. Most people have a difficult time getting their kids breakfast before going to school. I agree. And I, I lived that certainly with my daughter when she was a teen. She just wasn't hungry. And I appreciate that, that not everybody is on that wanting to think or eat all the time, like me, think about food or eat all the time. Um, so I had to get really creative with her smoothies, um, were new-ish at the time mm -hmm. that she was a teen. So that was a bit of a tough sell. She'd look at the color of it and think, oh, green? I don't think so. Um, so one tip was I'd put it in a travel, like an insulated coffee mug so she couldn't see the color. And she would like the flavor. And once the color was off the table, that was great. Um, creamed soups were another huge success. So I make this butternut squash apple soup. And I could heat that up, put it in the thermal mug. She'd sip that on her walk to school, get their full, happy. So savory was her preferred palate instead of sweet. Like cereal is sweet. Toast and jam is sweet. Smoothies tend to be on the sweeter side. So once I figured, that, what, figured out what worked for her, I'd make her... Um, an egg and cheese burrito and she could eat that in her hand as she walked to school. I know we tend to think that it has to be a certain breakfast food That's that right. we think in our head and yet it's not the point, right? Is that it's it's the consumption of nutrients That's right. given and the energy. So many cultures eat the same food three meals a day, like Koreans, for example. They don't have breakfast foods and lunch foods and dinner foods. They have the same thing. Now you might vary the order or whatever, but it really is a, a North American construct, especially with sweetened cereals and so on. And lots of cold pizza for breakfast, which is a great breakfast food. You've got protein, you've got vegetables. We have this homemade pizza in our case, but that I was, was a if you're going If you're getting pizza, pizza, and it's yeah, a little different yeah, it was, than, than yeah, homemade. homemade. Homemade pizza. Mm -hmm. um, she would have mashed potatoes and peas and chicken and gravy for breakfast some days. I didn't care. Just eat something nutritious, preferably homemade made and get your body fueled so that you can get on with your day. So it really is a North American concept that we separate the types of foods for you. Yeah. I mean, West, Western in general, mm -hmm. I would say, you know, it's certainly in Europe, they have, but you think you've even traveling in Germany, they put out buns and cheese and meat and hard boiled eggs. And that's a common buffet breakfast when you're traveling in Europe. So it is, it is a very different thing mm -hmm. here. Um, lots of super healthy muffins. That was another real time saver again for my family because you bake them ahead. They're in the freezer. They can just grab and go. I would even do little mini egg frittatas that they could eat like a muffin. So a grab and go thing. And that would be my biggest challenge would be planning stuff that would be there, not knowing what they would wake up and want to eat. Okay. So that comes into the kitchen prep because yeah. you're doing these frittatas, you're doing all of these baked muffins, you're doing all of that on a certain, like I do everyone, I do mine on Sunday, right? I yes. spend about two, three hours Perfect. doing my prep, but my prep is cutting veggies, putting them away and hard boiling eggs. I'm not making things like you are. Muffins take less time than what you just described. You know, you can honestly make a batch of muffins, mix them up in 15 minutes, bake them in 18 minutes, let them cool and they're in the freezer. So it's... You know, so you it's just pop them in the freezer in a freezer bag you and... Yeah. And they just, I actually have them in um, like little rubbermaid containers and each one is labeled what kind it is. And so they can just open the freezer. It's like shopping for muffins. They can just pick what they want. And... So you take it out of the freezer and then what? You put it in the microwave or it's Yeah. Frozen? Or it'll thaw. They'll, I mean, my daughter wasn't ready to eat, so she would throw one or two in her pack. And then when she got to school, she'd eat when she was ready. And teachers are great these days. I think they realize that kids don't all eat on a schedule. So eating class isn't as frowned upon as it mm -hmm. used to be in most schools. What kind of muffins then would be, you, would be in that freezer that um, she's grabbing? This podcast is brought to you by Extension Marketing. They're a new breed of marketing agency that acts as your virtual marketing department, designing and implementing cost-effective marketing strategies that will grow your business. 
I can speak to this personally as I've been using the extension marketing team to help me launch and grow my business. Founder Pat Whalen has been a lifesaver for me, a genuine coach guiding me along the way into uncharted territory. Tell them you're a friend of the show and receive a free one-hour consultation. Check them out at extensionmarketing.com. A favorite one that I still make all the time is a banana muffin base, but with yogurt and um, milk and butter and the banana and eggs. And then I would also put in quinoa flakes. So they look like little tiny oats, but they're a protein source and they just bulk up the nutrition of the muffin, but they don't really change the flavor or texture too much. Okay. So this isn't the muffin I'm getting out of the of muffin yeah, no. <laughs> that, I'm adding, that I'm adding water. No. <laughs> that's, that's but you know what? Those water mixes are okay mm. if you think about how can I make them more nutritious. Okay. So chop up some walnuts and put them in there for protein. You can even, um, I hate to say canned lentils, but if you cook up little red lentils, they cook down to like oatmeal mush. They're nothing. Fold a quarter, half a cup of those into a batch of muffins. And again, you've got protein in there. Okay, so you could take one of those prepackaged muffin mixes, muffin mixes and then you're just adding. That's right. Add add the other additional yeah. nutrients in, in there. In theory, I could do that. I wouldn't. No, I'm no, kidding. I know you I'm would, joking, but I think but I need it, a baby it's a step. Great, it's a Honestly, great starting okay. point. Absolutely. This just check the sugar on the mixes because mm. they're not all created equal. Some of them rely on sugar for flavor, and obviously you don't want to go that way. I put in a lot of fruit in my muffins instead. Um, and then there's tricks like if there, if it calls for oil or melted butter, um, put in applesauce instead. Get the same texture. So I will ha- cut the oil in half if it calls for half a cup of oil, for example. Quarter cup of oil, quarter cup of applesauce. And then again, you've got more fruit in there. You've got some natural sugar. What other ingredients do you substitute? I'll put even grated cheese sometimes in a muffin um, just because a mild flavored cheese. Again, you're getting more protein in there and it's not going to taste like a cheesy muffin really. So sour cream, yogurt, grated cheese, quinoa flakes, oats. Um, Sometimes I'll even grind the oats up in the blender to make like an oat flour and swap part of that in for the the wheat flour that it calls for. Um, Definitely nuts. Um, Yeah, as much fruit as I can possibly get in there. And I only make, you know, a couple of different kinds and they tend to be the ones that I stick with. I might just vary the fruit mm-hmm. up, but I know now that I know what people will eat, I just keep sticking with that. A lot of the times now, and, and I've, you know, it was starting to be the buzz was these, these crock pots or these Instapots or I don't own one, so I don't know how to cook in one, but what are people doing this? Like, what is this Instapot, what is this craze about this? So, I mean, it started off as an excellent marketing strategy and kudos to the Instant Pot people. They're, you know, it's made made an Ottawa invention, a great marketing team. And they did some great things with having uh, great Black Friday deals on Amazon, for example. So that got a lot of units out there. And the biggest advantage that I tell people about, there's two things that I love about the Instant Pot. One is that if you're going to use it as a slow cooker, you can sear the meat and the vegetables in the pot before before you put the liquid and everything in, put the lid on and set it off on its low and slow journey for five or six hours. Without that step, if you just dump some frozen chicken and some broth and some vegetables in a standard slow cooker, the flavor is really blah because it's the searing that starts to bring the flavors to the dish. So raw onion cooked in water is going to taste like onion cooked in water or broth. But if you cook the onion in a little bit of oil or butter first, you're getting that caramelization happening, all that great flavor. Same with the meat, same with tomatoes, carrots, anything. So that makes it a really good slow cooker. I'm not a big slow cooker fan because I'm not a very patient person. And I 
I, the thought of having to plan six hours ahead doesn't always work for me. Like, oh, I should have started that at noon. Drought, I forgot or whatever. So I love the Instant Pot as a fast cooker. So it's a, it's a fancy electric pressure cooker is what it is. And you can take frozen ground beef and um, onions and so on, tomato sauce, put it in there. You could have a perfectly delicious pasta sauce in about 20 to 25 minutes from frozen ground beef. So that's pretty. But don't amazing. have to cook the beef first. It cooks as part. You, I'll sear the the hunk of frozen beef, so it's not perfectly seared all the way through, but enough to get that flavoring starting, and then it'll continue to thaw and cook all in the one step. Risotto is another one. My family loves risotto. Ten minutes with no stirring. Normally, it's forty to fifty minutes standing over the stove stirring to make good risotto, and the Instant Pot so, makes amazing risotto. So this does work. It, it, yeah. There's a reason why people are. Yeah. I, I just hope so I hope that the people that are buying them are taking the time to learn how to use them. I have met more people. Yeah, I bought one. I haven't tried it. They're intimidated. There's so many great recipes out there on the internet. I have a few on my website, Constantly Cooking, that would be great gateway recipes mm -hmm. that explain how to use the pot. So the creation was to allow people to pop, drop in a whole bunch of food create some flavors and come back a couple hours later. Yeah, I mean, really, the idea was taking two cooking methods, slow cooking and pressure cooking, both of which hey, have I'm been sorry. around forever. I'm so, and I'm so it's sorry okay. to listeners, what is pressure cooking? So pressure cooking, is it is kind of like what it sounds. It's, I don't know if your mom or your grandmother would have ever used an old-fashioned pressure cooker. No. Big, heavy pot with a tight, tight lid with a rubber seal, and you put it on the stove, and you bring something to boil over pretty high heat, and it cooks, and it's making kind of a steaming sound, a, a pressure sound the whole time. So it would do uh, boiled potatoes in five minutes, let's say, instead of 10 or 15. And you could do a pot roast in the pressure cooker because the steam that builds up with the vacuum sealed lid allows the pressure to build up and that pressure helps the food cook. Okay. So that's, that, as I said, that technology has been around for a long time and then so has slow cooking. So it's really just the perfect marriage of the two. They've thrown in all kinds of other things. It's a rice cooker. It's a yogurt maker. They have cycles for soup. If you don't want to read the book and find out that you set it for 12 minutes for soup, you just press soup. I kind of like microwaves have a button for popcorn. Like, who can't figure out to press three and start, but whatever. Um, so the Instant Pot to me is a great tool, but I, I want people to use them. Don't just buy them because they're on the bandwagon and then let them sit in the cupboard taking up a lot of real estate that is could be used for something else if you're not going to use it. Okay, so let's say I have you take out your Instapot yep. and you're, you, can, you can grab five things from your fridge or from your pantry. What are you throwing in there for a meal? I would, in my case, I love to buy meat and throw it in a marinade and chuck it in the freezer. Meat continues, it starts to marinate as it's freezing. And then when it's thawing, as you pull it out, it continues its marination process right to the end. So I'll grab flank steak, for example, or chicken breasts. Chicken breasts in bottled salad dressing. Amazing. And throw it in the freezer. And then when you come home from work and you're thinking, oh, what am I going to make? You pull them out. They'll thaw in about an hour and they're ready to go on the grill or into the frying pan or whatever. So my okay, so I'm going to take some chicken breasts. Yeah. I'm going to throw them in a freezer bag. Yeah. And I'm going to chuck uh, one of our favorite salad dressings yep. in it. And then you're going to put it in the freezer. And then next Tuesday you're going to go, oh, what am I going to make? Oh, I've got chicken already marinated. 
And so again, it's the, oh, I should have put this in marinade what last salad, night. What salad dressings work best for that? Anything. Uh, my family really likes lemon, garlic, or Greek, or but really sky's the limit. You could use a raspberry vinaigrette, whatever your family likes. And it's you get the oil and the acid working together to help soften the meat, whatever the meat is. So you can do the same with a pork tenderloin or with, um, yeah, like I said, salad plank dressing. steak. Okay. It's, it's, it's the best. And the freezing is like really the best. So I usually have four or five different packs of meat in there, including some that I have already chopped up. So I'll chop up some chicken or chop up some beef for soups or for stews and they're marinated. So the five things I'm going to pull out a pack of marinated meat. I'm going to pull out some barley from my cupboard because I love barley and it's so nutritious and it makes a soup so much heartier. I'll pull out a box of broth, whatever's appropriate, beef broth, chicken broth, because I always keep that on hand. Um, I'll probably put an onion in there and then I'll put either if I've got fresh vegetables in the crisper or I'll grab some frozen peas or corn and throw that in and a little bit of pepper and maybe a bit of salt and you'd be amazed how good that soup would be. Okay, that's going to be a soup. Or stew, depending on how thick you make it. That's okay, really so the only difference. Okay, that's the what only is difference. the difference between a soup and a stew? Uh, do you eat it with a fork or a spoon? It's like that old chunky soup ad. It's, it just has to do with consistency. A stew tends to be thick and would be a fork meal, and a soup tends to be a spoon meal. That's all. That's the difference. Yeah. Like, it's not how, how it's... Well, how different is it cooked to be able to have one thinner and one thicker? It's just the amount of liquid you put in. That's all. It's like soup and chowder. Chowder is a milk or cream base. Soup. And soup is uh, broth or water, not milk or cream based. So tomato, tomato. See, I had no idea. There you go. I was thinking it was much more complicated. No, no that. more complicated than that. Much more complicated than that. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, I know for you eating meat, you know, it's, it's in, it's in rotation a number That's of right. times in the household. How difficult is it for people who are not cooking? with meat and then we can go from from the veg like meat eaters to vegetarians to vegans i mean there's there's a lot of different lines you can take i would say the only time it's really difficult is if you're transitioning from one way of eating to another so if you've been uh meat most days and suddenly and I'll, i i don't want to stereotype but teenage daughter says I want to go vegetarian or want to go vegan because that happens. It seems to be every week someone tells me they're done. What am I going to do? My daughter wants to be vegan. And my daughter certainly has dabbled with vegetarianism and, and even veganism. So that transition is a new way of thinking because so many people think about protein first, like what meat am I going to make? So if you're, if you've started to work on getting your thinking, what vegetables am I going to serve? Then it becomes easier to think, oh, well, I could quickly pan fry some tofu and put that in that stir fry and serve it over rice noodles, over uh, whatever. And then it's not as much of a hard stop in your thinking. Um, and then if you're going from vegetarianism to veganism, you just have to make sure that it's balanced and that it's nutritious. And again, the internet is just the most amazing playground for those resources. People shouldn't feel like they, ha they can't do it alone because there is a worldwide community out mm -hmm. there ready to help. And you were talking about that. You were talking about being 12, right? And having a, a turkey come dropped yeah. on the counter and your dad said, figure it out. And there wasn't the internet and there mm -hmm. weren't uh, thousands, millions upon millions of recipes. Mm -hmm. How do people find what's going to suit them? Because it, it's almost like me with fitness apps. I'm overwhelmed. There's just, there's so many of them out there and it's like, where do you even start from? And I would assume it's the same thing when you're looking at you know, between Pinterest and Instagram and the internet. Like there's so many choices out there. So it's there's almost too many choices that you just say, forget it. I would agree. And so when I first started 
trying to understand the world of internet recipes. By this point, I was already into creating my own, which as I said, was really liberating because I could just freestyle it and do what I wanted. And mostly it worked, not always, but mostly when I was first starting out. But I think about, okay, I, I want to try and get my family to eat tofu, for example. And it's a bit of a joke because I do serve it not all the time, but occasionally I never tell the men folk in my life, they eat it. And then all of a sudden they go, wait a minute, was that tofu? But meanwhile, they've enjoyed the meal. So there you go. So I would do best ever honey garlic tofu or so best ever is always my starting point. If I'm in new uncharted internet territory. Okay. So you're Googling best best ever. ever. And then, you know, best ever crispy tofu. Like I don't want to make it too limiting, but I know that if it's crispy, they might not recognize it as tofu, for example, or best ever chickpea stew or best ever, whatever. Anyway, it narrows the field a little bit. You'll still get, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of hits, but you won't get 10 million. Like I Googled just for fun pizza recipes the other day, 87 million pizza recipes. And there were only 24 million for chocolate chip cookies. Wow. I know. So the best everything is, is really a good starting point. That really narrows it down. And if you find, you know, a blog that you like, spend five minutes. You get a recipe, one recipe that comes up. It's from a particular um, blog or website. You read through it. Oh, that sounds pretty good. Maybe you make it, maybe you don't take five minutes when you're right there. Look and see what else they've got. Bookmark it if it looks like, yeah, this could be a good source. And don't try and look at 50 different websites when you're thinking about Sunday dinner. Like it's just, it's too much. You've got to give yourself a break and just decide that, you know what, I'm going to stick with these five websites for the next couple of weeks and maybe I'll just cook from them and then you'll keep going with them or you'll move on. Was there someone who inspired you? I mean, I know your mom was, it was that person in the kitchen, but are there cookbook authors? Are there places where you have gone? So I started my first cookbook ever was The Joy of Cooking. And it was great for me because it was a textbook and a cookbook. And I really got the understanding, not just the recipes, but the whys and the hows. And I wanted that because if you're going to start to think outside the recipe box, you need to understand how food works and how cooking works and so on. So that was really valuable for me. Um, I also loved Julia Child's books and I definitely, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, I didn't even understand it when I started reading it. I just liked it and I was, you know, I was not very old and I'm, I'm reading through this and I'm thinking, okay, this woman has figured this stuff out and I want to do that one day. I want to figure out how to make a good recipe and how to make sure that most of my dishes turn out. Right. Cause it's not turning out for you. You want it to turn out for those that are making it. That's right. We know that you have the talent to do it. Yeah. Do you get, do you appreciate it more when you have people who are non cooks? Absolutely. And that's recipes? a comment that I get probably eight to 10 times a week on my website was I find recipes really confusing but not yours. Thank you for taking the time to explain every single step. Your recipes look long, but they aren't because you're just explaining it clearly. Sometimes now I can just look at the ingredients and make them because I know that you have put them together in a logical way. So I think that's really important because people are not growing up cooking with their mothers the way that they did generations ago and even in my generation. So I want to teach them while they're making dinner for their family. Mm -hmm. And they need a 10 minute lesson because they don't have all day and they don't have a decade to learn with their mom. That's interesting to, to, to keep in mind Mm -hmm. is that if I'm going to look at your recipe, it's going to look long. 
because I'll be honest with you, Paul, if it looks long, if it looks complicated, I'm, I'm out. Well, I've never actually cooked from cookbooks. So, but yeah, so when I say things- looks long, the recipe, the ingredient list won't look very long okay. because I just think that you shouldn't have to use a ton of ingredients unless it's something very, very special, but I just, you'll see a whole lot of very short steps. So it'll be 15, eight word sentences, mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me, as opposed to, um, you know, it won't be a page and a half, but it won't be like my grandmother's famous recipes, mix all together and cook in a hot oven till done. Like, how can you cook with those instructions? See, that's how, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works in my Well, that's yeah, good. Yeah. But, but then you're making things that you know how to make, right? But it's just because whatever I, because my mom's cooking is just, she just throws things in and it just works, yeah. right? So well, I She's just, talented. So she, but she is, but I haven't quite grasped, you know, and I think I've grasped it. And then the kids are like, it doesn't taste like bubbies at all. Ah. And that's when it's just like, okay, we, we still have to figure more things so out. So instead of mix all together and cook in a hot oven until done... I will give the step-by-step and even sometimes it should look like this at this point because I realize that not everyone's going to be watching my cooking show and they want to know that when you're making cream puffs, it's going to start, it's going to look curdled, but then all of a sudden it's going to look like glossy frosting. Mm -hmm. And I want those transitions to be there so people can understand, oh good, it's looking just like she said. Okay. Do you have an appreciation for like going to a restaurant, like where do you have more appreciation for in terms of having something successful at a dinner table and family eating, or then you go to these restaurants and it's like little bite size, some things, perfections, (laughs) and you're starving still when you finish eating. Well, sometimes I think that you didn't have a good enough dialogue with your waiter if you are hungry when you leave a restaurant. You know, if you're a kind of person that's used to eating a certain amount or style of food, I I would ask, you know, what size is that portion? Um, do most people have a an appetizer and a dessert with that particular menu item? I'm not a big eater. Do you think that's going to be too much for me? And I always ask those questions. And then it's like, oh, gee, I better order an appetizer. Or, oh, gosh, I'm not going to have an appetizer this time. Or I'm watching other people's plates going by. What did they order? That looks really good. That's a really big portion. So take that time to go, to have that dialogue. And you won't leave a restaurant hungry if you order with the guidance of your server. I've gone to some restaurants knowing that the food was – there was – bite-sized portions and yeah. like had a meal prior to and going to the restaurant yeah. because I knew it was going to be one of there those kinds go. of restaurants and I try to pretend that like there's a great appreciation and I do appreciate that but yeah for me I just I like to I like to eat like and I like to be full as I do yeah. as well I would say my greatest appreciation quite honestly is when I go to someone's house a friend's house and they make a meal with confidence and it can be hamburgers it could be quesadillas it doesn't have to be fancy at all I don't I don't cook fancy food at home very often. I cook wholesome, nutritious, good tasting food that sometimes looks a bit pretty, but it's not pretentious and it's not precocious. It's just good, honest food. And so people say, oh, your friends must be too intimidated to cook for you. Well, my good friends aren't because they know that all I want to do is eat something that tastes good. And I love that they are willing to cook for me mm-hmm. and that when I tell them, when I ask them for the recipe, they're just beaming. Oh, that's a like, big compliment. I made Paula happy. Yeah. I want to, because we're talking so much about this and I, and some people won't have the means 
And I think this is where there's a big issue is to have the means to be able to provide those type of meals or that cooking. So what do you suggest for people that are really on a tight budget uh, and are limited in what they can go to the grocery store? I mean, you talked to, you know, one time, like I can go and we could get shrimp and you that's for a lot of people isn't an option. I agree. I work um, here in town with the Parkdale Food Center, which is a really progressive, innovative food bank here in Ottawa. And being there has really opened my eyes to what the constraints are for so many people and also to what the possibilities are to just try to open things up. So things like canned salmon and, and tuna, you know, you hear that on the food bank requested list. Well, they are super nutritious and there's lots of things you can do with them. You can throw them in with, um, noodles, as we talked about back to the pasta or with cooked barley or, um, even make little cakes out of them with potato, mashed potato and onion and fry them up. So that's a really good staple thing. Definitely looking at alternatives that depending on the cultural background of, of the person, they may or may not be aware of like lentils are one of my go-tos. I'll make a vegetarian, it's a vegan pasta sauce. And I put in a little bit of chopped walnut and some cooked red lentils. And it mimics that mouthfeel of ground beef or ground chicken because it's kind of crumbly a little bit, but still nice and saucy and soupy. So lentils and chickpeas are ones that I really try and steer people towards if they're cooking on a budget and they want to get um, enough protein into their diets. Frozen vegetables, again, when they're on sale, you can often pick up a bag of frozen peas for $2, whereas a can of peas, which is maybe a quarter or a third of the volume, is at least a dollar, $1.29. So if you shop with some care, it's actually a little bit possible, not entirely, because I know some people's budget limitations are so severe, but you can pick up the ingredients to make a healthy meal for much less than buying a packaged frozen lasagna or a packaged, um, I don't know, meat pie or something like that. And then there's things like pierogies, which are super inexpensive and really filling. And they're not the healthiest thing in the world. But if you serve that with a big salad, um, all of a sudden the meal's getting a little bit more in balance. Mm -hmm. When you talk about, you know, these frozen lasagna, fr frozen meals and stuff, sometimes I think of like going through the Costco aisles and just seeing things in such magnitude. Uh-huh. And it's like, who, who are they making this for like how are we consume like it's from one end you're going okay how to be able to do this and, and keep with the constraints of of you know the finances but then mm -hmm. you can go to costco and for a very similar price to get like this monstrosity of a meal and are you going to eat it all or is it going to end up in the garbage that's what i worry about so what i like to do when i go to costco and i don't shop there that often but i'll go i don't know once a month or once every six weeks is to pick up what i like to call future meal makers so i will get the big package of ground beef and i will get the big package of chicken thighs but i don't just come home and stick it in the freezer because that's game over like when are you going to cook up four pounds of ground beef in one sitting. So mm -hmm. I take the time to package it up. Um, some of it I'll freeze as is, but a lot of times I'll cook it up in about one pound, 500 gram portions. And I will add in one batch, I'll add in like taco seasoning. Another batch I'll add in sort of traditional Italian style seasoning. Another batch I might do Chinese five spice. And then I pack it into either little containers or Ziploc bags, label what it is. And these little packs are stacked up in my freezer. And then when I decide, oh, it's Tuesday, we should have tacos. The meat's already done. And I might even have a package of cooked peppers and onions sitting right beside it. Pull that out. They just need to be defrosted or thrown in the pan and warmed up again. And dinner's ready. Okay. 
I think if I opened up my freezer, there'd be a lot of things that look like there's freezer burn. It's not that unsafe. <laughs> it, it How just, long can things last? It, do you mind? Because you're yeah. doing this and so you've got these four different packs and you've got everything. Like how, how long can things last in the freezer so, if you're going to invest the time in doing this? So if you're packing it in freezer style um, zipper bags, so there's like the lunch bag style, I'll call it a thin plastic. Mm-hmm. And I'm still struggling with this whole single use plastic thing. So I've actually invested in a lot of... Um, glass food containers with really tight seal lids. And so that's my preferred thing now for my freezer. But if it's in a a freezer gauge bag, it's good for at least six months. And I would say safely a year if your freezer is, you know, performing well and it's not being opened a hundred times a day, which I'm sure yours isn't and so on. And the freezer burn just means that there's been some air exchange between the food and the Mm. air of the freezer. So it's kind of nipped. It's almost like it's got its own little case of frostbite, but it doesn't mean that the food has spoiled. And I always just tell people, trust your nose. If you open something and you start to thaw it and it doesn't smell right, don't take a chance. Toss it. Yeah. I've done that a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> but trust your nose again. <laughs> trust trust your nose. Yeah. Okay, I got that. Snacks. Snacks. Oh, I my gosh. Snacks. Okay, my kids come home. It's like they come home from school. They're coming home from activities. It's like what's to snack on. Yeah. So, um, cereals always been a great go-to in our household and I figured they're getting milk, whatever. Um, I tried to switch to granola for that snack, granola with tons of chopped up fruit in it and bananas and milk or yogurt and so on. Um, smoothies also great. If I was, uh, working and so on. I just have some smoothies pre-made in the fridge. Again, they grab it. It's right there. Um, muffins also really popular homemade waffles. I'd make up a huge batch of homemade waffles, often with some whole wheat flour in there. They'd be in the freezer. The kids could come home from school, pull out a couple waffles, put them in the toaster, um, spread peanut butter on them, make a sandwich out of them, whatever they wanted. And that was a really good thing to fill their bellies. And then it bought me a couple hours before I had to start panicking about getting dinner on the table. But you don't panic about your dinner. I panic when they're whining and I know I still need 25 more minutes to cook. (laughs) Okay. 25 more minutes to cook. Most people I'm thinking have about 20 minutes to cook. So that's when I get back to these, these frozen meal makers or my really, really real favorite is a made ahead meal. So we all know that something tastes much better when it's freshly prepared. If you pull something out of the freezer that you've cooked before and it's, it's good, but it's not as good as the day it was first made. And so I like to assemble the night before. Um, I have a dish with uh, chicken thighs and you just throw in some chopped cherry tomatoes, some cloves of garlic if your family likes garlic, onion, mushroom, whatever, and drizzle a little oil and balsamic over top or a little chicken broth. Put it in the fridge. It's ready to go. And you just come home from work. You put that thing in the oven. You don't have to do anything. And you could have some pre-cooked rice or a giant salad um, ready to go with it and just reheat the rice or toss the salad and that's ready to go. And there's lots of make ahead recipes out there in the internet world. Again, lots on my website where best ever, is that yeah, right? Best, best, best ever, best ever, yes. best ever make ahead meal. And it's, it's the make ahead, but cook fresh part that I find is really, really good. And then your family even gets to enjoy that aroma of the meal cooking, the anticipation. And it is almost like it becomes a magnet and draws everybody together for those last 15, mm. 20 minutes of cooking time. That's when we start to talk about the day. Oh, can you set the table? And I need the dishwasher emptied. And it it's a real glue time for us. And then 
we sit down, we eat, it's delicious, and then we can get on with the rest of our evening. I do love walking into a home, like or when, when yeah. cooking's in, you walk in and it smells so yes. good. There's, there is something very, uh, there's that emotional connection Absolutely. to it. And you don't get but that from hitting a couple buttons on a microwave. It's just not I the same know thing. I you don't. When do you think kids, I mean, you started to learn to cook young, but as we're preparing our kids to head off to university, uh, there's the freshman 15, there's a lot of changes from going from home cooking to kids leaving and, and cooking for themselves. What do they need to learn? Like what would be a couple of major things every kid should learn before leaving the house? I've had a few friends send their kids over for crash courses. So I know okay. what you're talking we, about. And that's probably a great idea. Grocery shopping is the first thing for them to learn. Our kids go with us when they're little because we can't leave them at home alone, right? And then as soon as you can leave them at home or dad's home or your partner's home or you've got a babysitter, yeah. it's a treat to go to the grocery store without them. Like I would take my time and saunter through those aisles where I could go by myself. And then when they're teens, they're often not that interested in going. They just want the food to magically mm -hmm. appear. So I would make them come with me and we'd talk about label reading. We'd talk about good value. We, I'd have them that say, okay, we need this. Which one should we buy? And they got down to reading the price per unit on the shelves. And not everybody's going to be crazy like that, but it, that served them. They said that was the most important thing when they started to grocery shop for themselves in university on a very limited budget. They knew how to shop well, and they knew to look scan, do a quick scan. Oh, that's on sale. I don't usually buy that, but I think I can cook with that. And so that was a really important thing. And what do they like to eat and how can they make that one or two things? My son really wanted to learn how to make baguette because he loves baguette. And I'm like, okay, I'll show you how it's really easy. And then that became kind of a, one of his party tricks was making baguette. Um, their favorite pasta sauce, their favorite soup, if they have one, I actually wrote out mashed potatoes and rice, like literally the step-by-step -step for them. Cause I thought it'd be fun to have them call except not. And, uh, they had that as a go-to and I know that they both looked it up a number of times and put family recipes, um, in the cloud or somewhere. They're not going to look at a cookbook and they're not even going to websites that much anymore. They might go to Pinterest and see the look of mm -hmm. something and then just make it. But family favorites, it's nice if they can have access to those in some online format so that they can grab them and look at them. And But prior to them leaving is is the process of the grocery shopping. The grocery On, shopping with was that the biggest. Limited, with that limited budget, yeah. is, is that was the biggest. That was the biggest thing. And then just, yeah, the basics. I mean, do they know how to make mashed potatoes? Do they know how to cook rice? I mean, I would say there's not too many kids, certainly in North America, that don't know how to boil water and cook pasta because they seem to live on the stuff, and that's fine. Um even just yeah, how to prepare vegetables. You know, one great rule of thumb is if it grows above the ground, so that would be like broccoli and spinach and so on, you start that in hot water. And it <gasps> oh my God, okay, 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 sorry, sorry. Okay, wait, wait, start again. So if it grows under okay. the ground, so potatoes, carrots, beets, turnips, whatever, you start it in cold water because it's almost like it's grown up in this cold world under the ground. And that way it comes up to a cooking temperature gradually and more evenly. If it grows above the ground, you start it in already boiling water because you want a super fast cook. Oh my gosh, this is life changing for me right there now. You go. Oh my god! Okay, <laughs> wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> like honestly, like there's like this massive light bulb. Yay. I just always like boil the water and throw things in. Or if I know that I'm not going to be back into the kitchen, I'll just put it in and then boil everything, like yeah. put it in the cold water and then 
Yeah. I don't even put it in cold water. I put it in like whatever's going to be closest to help it get to boiling water faster. Right. Yeah. But no. So anything under the ground, I'm going to start it. So I'm going to put it in with the cold water. That's right. And allow it to boil. Come up to temperature, temperature and boil. Yeah. And then if it's something tender, so growing above, so peas again, beans, spinach, um, broccoli, broccoli, cauliflower, then you wait, bring the water to boil, then you add the vegetables to the pot. And then how long am I keeping them in and just until I can put the fork through it? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was, that was another just quick tip for my kids. And they said, what's like, your trick? Okay. What's your trick on um, hard boiled eggs? Uh, bring them to a boil in starting in cold water, bring them to boil, then turn the pot off 12 minutes and then run them under cold water right away. But the, there's a fat end and a skinny end on the egg shape. It's not a perfect oval. Yeah. I tap them on the counter as soon as I can touch them to break the egg sac at the bottom where it holds a little bit of air because that's what makes the green uh, ring around the yolk. So as soon as you break that egg air sac in the egg, then all the excess air goes out and then you won't ever have a green ring around your yolk. If you're oh, look egg. at that. Yeah. Okay. I know this is so basic, but I, sometimes I mess up because sometimes you hard boil the egg and then you can't get the shell off. So have you seen this trick? You put it in a mason jar of cold water, put the lid on and shake the thing for about, I don't know, a minute or two and the peel slips right off. See, I didn't know that. But yeah. what I'm going to start to do is put the eggs in, in cold water, yeah. bring it to a boil. Once it's in a boil, turn it off and leave them in there for 10 to 12 minutes. Yep. And then if I'm not going to, but if I'm not going to use them right away, I just, so then I pop the bottoms to, to still, break it. Still oh yeah, always. I just do that as a matter of course. And then they can just go in the fridge, even in the shelves. So it just the matter. bottom, like the fat part, the fat part, the yeah. fat part, but you just break just it a little wrap bit, it, wrap it on the counter to crack the bottom. And then it lets the air out because otherwise that air has to go somewhere and it's still hot inside. And that's what makes that green. And that's part of what gives the eggs their sort of sulfury smell. So that's why when we open up our fridge, when we've just put hard boiled eggs in there, that's it's, why it yeah. smells. I still have to put them in a glass container with a lid because my kids can't stand the smell but of But that has, because I just did my Sunday prep. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. that has there you go. exactly happened. Yeah. They, they open up the fridge and it's like, oh, yeah. and I'm like, they're hard boiled eggs. So I know you're into these tips and tricks. So another great tip that I uh, often use in my cooking classes and on my show is people say, oh, I bought cilantro to make this one dish and now it's in the fridge and I don't know what to do with it. So any leftover herbs, I chop them up finely and I mix them with a little bit of olive oil or water, depending on mint, I would use water, for example, put them in a freezer bag and squeeze the air out, chuck them in the freezer. And then you can just, whenever you want a little bit of cilantro for a soup or basil for a sauce, open the bag, crack a corner off, put it in your pot, seal the bag up back in the freezer. And so nothing ever goes to waste at all. That's really good because I yeah. often do that. I'll buy a cilantro for something. Yes. And then it, you know, and then it withers and away. And use the stems. The cilantro stems have more flavor than the leaves and they're easier to chop up nice and finely. Wow. Yeah. So could you do that? So just as part of my Sunday prep then, could I just take the whole cilantro that I get? Yep. And then chop the entire thing up? Yep. Everything up and put that into a Ziploc? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's, and then just use that. Yep. And if I am going to freeze it though, you need to have it a little bit of water or oil. It just makes it, it, it keeps it from getting kind of freezer burned ish and also from turning brown because it's suspended in that liquid instead of just being exposed to whatever little bit mm. of air is in the bag. Okay. 
Any other little, those are great. I like that. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I have so many. Oh, cherry tomatoes. My family loves those little cute little mm-hmm. cherry tomatoes, but they're a nuisance to cut. If you have to cut like two dozen for a dish or a salad, take two matching uh, lids, like two yogurt container lids, um, top insides together, put the tomatoes in the middle, just slide your knife right through the two lids, holding the top one down over the bottom. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So you can cut like 15 in five seconds. That's so funny. I spend all my time going half. There you go. So there you go. Working. So constantly cooking. Mm -hmm. This is the website that, and it's updated how often? New recipes two to three times a week, depending on what's going on. And I'm also doing, um, very fortunate to do some food related tourism pieces now as well. I was just in beautiful Lanark County this past Mm -hmm. weekend, uh, working with the Lanark County Department of Tourism and Perth had this amazing festival of the maples that was so incredible. And the meals in Perth, the food scene is amazing there. Oh, it is. It's, yeah, it's nice. It's really nice. So I try and update people on good destinations. If you're interested in food, you know, here's a good place mm-hmm. to go. But then the original recipes, I would say, yeah, two to three new recipes a week. Chicken taquitos, baked, not fried, up today. I saw that. I yeah. saw that on the website. And yeah. the show, if uh, people are listening to your voice and they're like, okay, we're going to see this and we're going to find her. Where, because you have the cooking show on Rogers. That's right. So it's called Paula Roy's Favorite Foods. And we're into season two now. Uh, right now it's a bit uh, chaotic because the Ottawa 67s are doing so well. So I get preempted because of that. And I'm really okay mm-hmm. with that. Great to have a successful franchise on the go here in town. Normally the first run of each new episode is Thursdays at 7.30 in the evening. And then it shows about three or four times throughout the week until the next new episode launches. And they'll soon be up on YouTube. So people can check the Rogers website or if they go to Constantly Cooking, all the recipes by episode are posted there. So people can and see what was on the show. And it was done out of your own kitchen. It is done in my kitchen. Super fun. It's, I don't know, people love seeing my playground. I get stopped in the grocery store all the time now. Should I buy this? What can I make with this? What are you making? So I'd like, I hope I don't have anything embarrassing in my cart today, but it's fun. Ottawa is such a great food community. And there's Mm -hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people who already love food, but a lot of people who want to learn more about food and want to not only feed their families better, but find the joy in it. And so if I can help in just even a tiny way to getting people towards that it really feels good but it's I think right there it's the finding the joy because no matter what you do you need you need to feed the family right that's right but it's the finding the joy part uh and it's funny interesting enough recently just we have the now the google home mm-hmm. so well I'll, and I never used to do this but I'll play music you know, and I just find sometimes there's a little music, there's a little pop in your step you're like okay yeah. it, it changes the mood a little bit it's yeah. like okay we can we can get through this and I, I like to cook by myself just because I'm in my head. I'm having fun. I'm reflecting on, I remember the first time I made this or, oh, my mom would love this. Or I remember my grandmother's lemon oat crisp cookies. So I'm doing this whole fun, happy decompressing thing while I'm cooking. But other times I want the family to be in there with me and I'll, you know, I'll delegate jobs or I'll ask, like I said before, can you set the table? Can you empty the dishwasher? And then all of a sudden we're gathered together in the space where the food magic and mm-hmm. the food love is happening. Happening, and that's pretty special too. I really appreciate this. I've definitely taken a couple of things from this that Great. I will immediately. I am changing. It's so basic, but how I'm boiling my water Excellent. With, <laughs> with my vegetables in there. So uh, constantlycooking.com is where you want to be able to head. Uh, you'll be able to find the information and the recipes. Uh, and I think once you're on that website, you'll be able to link into anything else that you're looking that's for. That's right. And so. there's about 600, 650 recipes on oh there gosh. covering really everything from literally soup to nuts and everything in between. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Okay. 
and some great tips on, on what needs to be in that in that fridge and that freezer and how long to use them. Paula, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, that wraps another episode of Living Your Life with Leanne Lang. And as we mentioned, please, if you can, share, like, subscribe, let people know that this exists. And, and honestly, I'd love some feedback. I want to know if some people tried some of these little tips uh, in the kitchen uh, and maybe had a little bit of a better time, a little easier time with the family as they were doing their kitchen prep. Thanks so much, Paula. Thank you. That's a wrap. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.